You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Tuesday, villagers. I am so, so excited that you have joined me today. This is hands down one of the most exciting episodes for me. It is interviewing someone that I look up to so much. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. But before we do that, quick check-in. How are you? How are you doing? If you're not driving, close your eyes for a second and take a deep breath and do a body scan. Really check in with yourself, with your mind, with your body, with your stomach, with your arms and your legs, with your heart. What is your body telling you? What does your body need? What are you thankful for about your body? Send some gratitude to your body. You would not be here without that thing, literally. Thank you for showing up today, showing up for yourself, showing up for me, showing up to care about maternal health, women's health, babies, birth, all of that jazz. Thank you. I appreciate you. You are listening to episode number 75 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. Lately, I've been seeing so much hatefulness from mass shootings to sexual assault to victim blaming and shaming, mom gangs and attacks of judgy Jennies and snooty Susans on Facebook to stares and glares bounced back and forth at the playground. I can't take it any longer, and so today, it's all about cutting the shit. I can't take the world being such a rude and mean and hurtful place. I just can't take us being mean to one another any longer. So I brought on one of the most influential people in my success. I shared in episode 34 about my own experience of growth and resiliency of moving to a new place and being bullied by a pitiful soul right here in Boston. January Harshi is the founder of Birth Without Fear and the hashtag you do you boo movement. She is the mama of six beautiful kids and the co-host of the Harshi podcast and she has a book coming out in 2019. So needless to say, this is going to be a jam-packed episode. Let's dive right in. January, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being so patient with me. I've rescheduled this a few times, and I think that goes hand in hand with what you said in your intro of just giving each other grace and understanding and patience because life is really hard. And when you're a working person and and or a parent as well, it's really easy to be juggling too many balls and uh, we need a lot of grace and support. And you have shown that to me and I just wanted to say that. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to come here. And I know that our listeners do too. I do think that bringing grace back into kind of the playing field is something that I strive to do. And I think a lot of people hopefully walk away thinking, wow, he, he is a very gracious person. That's at least the, the vibes I want to get out. So before we dive too much into all the things I want to talk about, can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself or our listeners who may not know you? I can. I I don't know how to summarize myself. (laughs) Uh, I am 39, almost 40. I have been with my husband since we were 19. We were friends in high school and we started dating at 19. 
and we got married a few years later. We have six kids, ages 15 down to three. My husband's a chiropractor, so we put him through school. And uh, by the time I'd had, well, was pregnant with my fourth child, I was just really done with the whole entire system and the conversation and lack of support surrounding birth. And so we did things on our own terms with our fourth. And after I had her, I just wanted the conversation to change and I wanted the information to get into as many women's space as possible because we just didn't have the information available. And so I started a movement called Birth Without Fear to just share that information. I was anonymous at first. For the first year, nobody even really knew who was behind Birth Without Fear because I was just wanting to get information out there. I wasn't trying to get myself out there. Um, but Birth Without Fear became a space that, uh, well, it became more inclusive, you know, and there weren't a lot of spaces like that at the time over eight years ago. So I started that movement. And since then, I've been in the social media world with things like Birth Without Fear, Take Back Postpartum, Don't Forget Dads. A lot of people don't realize I run Don't Forget Dads as well. <laughs> uh, and a few others. And we've we've kind of been a little all over the place the last few years. It's interesting running social media accounts and movements as well as speaking. I started speaking five years ago. I started putting on my own events and conferences and seminars. And then my husband's also, like I said, a chiropractor and we have six children. So, you know, we're doing a little bit of everything. And this last year we've been working on honing that in, but that's a little bit about myself. There's many layers to January Harshi. <laughs> it's like really sometimes hard to explain, but I hope that I'm doing myself a little bit of justice there. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I think that we will get to peeling away some of those layers yeah. today and people will be able to get a good glance of who you are. And I'm super excited to share all that with everybody. So let's dive right into mental health. You're a huge advocate for people talking about it so that we can normalize it. And it's a huge piece of the TBH approach. It's a huge piece of the conversations that I have prenatally with people. You share your own story loud and proud, and I've been able to watch your influence on so many people, and you've even impacted my own resiliency and growth. So can you share your own mental health story here so our listeners can kind of have the stage set of who Mama J is? <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And uh, well, I'm a healer through and through. You know, when when we were starting school to be, I was going to be a chiropractor as well. I actually talked Brandon into going to school with me. And I remember having discussions with him after we had our first baby over 15 years ago. And he's like, who are you? What do you want to do with your life? And I told him, I'm a healer. I just want to help people heal. And so I think being a mom and not choosing not to go through graduate school, I found my own way to do that at the time. And so um, that just goes hand in hand to now me speaking about mental health, whether it's speaking about pregnancy, birth, mental health, anything. I just try to share my journey in it in a relatable way to help other people feel less alone and to feel that there's somebody else maybe going through it similar, you know, similar situation and hopefully can find a little bit of healing on their journey. And so I started speaking up more about postpartum when I had my sixth baby because it put me back in that whole entire world and space. And part of that was anxiety. And I started having uh, some issues with anxiety after I had my fifth child and didn't really recognize it a lot until I got pregnant with my sixth and talked about it with my midwife. And then after I had my sixth, it was pretty bad postpartum. And so I spoke with my midwife and I spoke with my OB and I spoke with a homeopath and, you know, I just started speaking up about it in online space, you know, cause again, I can't be the only one going through this. Right. And a lot of times we don't understand something until we go through it. It's very hard to relate or to be empathetic unless you've been through an experience. And so when I started sharing it, of course, there was a lot of feedback, a lot of other people sharing their experiences. It's a really empowering thing to use your voice because it gives other people the empowerment and not that anyone needs permission, but some people feel they do to use their voice. And so that's kind of what I have found in speaking up about anything, but especially with mental health. 
And the last few years, our youngest is three and a half. And the last few years, we have gone through a lot of hard life experiences and your mental health will suffer from that. And there's mental illness and there's mental health. And, you know, my husband has been very open about his experience with bipolar two disorder and what he's been going through with that. And he's, you know, he's in the, the midst of it and sharing it as he goes through it, you know, piece by piece and being the partner or the spouse of somebody with a mental illness is who it's a whole, it's a whole thing in itself. And so, you know, I, I did not share any of that part of it until Brandon was comfortable sharing his story because it's his story to share. And so that's a whole dynamic um, as well. And so I just feel really passionate about sharing my experiences with mental health, uh, our experience as a couple with mental illness, and there's a lot of up and downs with that. Actually, our podcast episode this week is going to be on healing isn't linear because it's messy. You know, it's one thing to get on Instagram and go through different hashtags and look at quotes. It's another thing to actually live it. You know, even something as simple as stop talking to toxic people. Yeah, that is super awesome. And let's give that a like and let's comment on that, you know. But what does that actually look like in real life? Usually that can, that's messy and there's pushback and there's heartbreak, you know, is it still necessary? Absolutely. But is it difficult? Yes. And so I try to create a space to, to have those conversations. I love that so much. I think so much of what a lot of us, um, I don't know what even to call us. The, the people who are kind of like trailblazers, but we do it in a unique way. I'm not really sure, but we're just helping people approach things differently. I like that you give the permission that you talk about. I can't tell you how many clients come to me and say, you just gave me the permission that I didn't even know that I needed. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't, as a practitioner, I never realized when I'm giving someone permission, it usually is something that is a very typical thing for me to say. And they're like, yeah, I do need to do that. Or I do have permission to do that. So, and I even love more that you are showing it from a partner's perspective because I think first of all mental illness and mental health is kind of sticky in general so we don't always have open dialogue about it but there's like zero dialogue of what it's like to live with those people or support those people or what it's like to love those people it's incredibly difficult you know the last few years I mean well it truly started killing my body you know from the stress my body started breaking down my anxiety got worse um, it's an incredibly lonely space to be the partner of the spouse that is supporting somebody with mental illness. It's really, really hard. I get emotional about it because I've lived it. And it is incredibly, incredibly difficult and lonely. And so, you know, to, to be able to talk about that and be supportive about that is so important because we can't just always just walk away from somebody like, like Brandon's my person. He's my soulmate. He's my twin flame. He's, you know, like we are that for each other and like, we're very loyal people and we're all in and he's been that for me and I've been that for him. And when you're in a relationship for a really long time, there's going to be seasons where you're going to be the person going through it and you need your partner to be there for you through and through unconditional love because maybe nobody else is. And then it's going to flip the other way, different times. So, you know, we were going through all the pregnancy and birth and all of the trials of that. He was, he was the only one that was in my corner and completely believed in me and was my champion. And then now that we're through that season, you know, with what he's going through, I'm that for him. And again, it's messy. It's hard it's difficult there's a lot of a lot of trauma there's a lot of different things but if you can find the right help and the right support and have better tools you can start to heal and start to have different conversations and start to actually will even be able to recognize patterns and behaviors so that you can even have a discussion about them. You can't have a discussion about them if you can't even recognize them. And so right now, uh, you know, Brandon went to a, a wonderful psychiatrist and went that route, which is a big deal for us. We're a very natural minded family and went that route. And now he's seen, uh, he's changed gears and he's seen, 
an incredible nature path and a wonderful therapist and he checks in with them weekly and he has appointments with his therapist weekly and he's working through his own stuff and now I get to be his friend again because what happens in a relationship is is the person that is supporting the supportive person a lot of times like all of a sudden they're feel like they have to be the caretaker and the therapist and all these other things. And it's like, I don't want to be those things. I want to be your best friend and your wife. And so by Brandon getting the right support he needs for himself, that lets me go back into my role of being your friend and your wife and your partner. Right. And so it's just healthier overall, you know, so the best thing you can do as the supportive person is to help your partner or your spouse or your child or whoever it is, get the, the support that they need and the right support for them. And that's going to look different for everyone. You know, um, meditation, therapy, naturopathy, homeopathics, working out, um, diet are all things that uh, Brandon has to focus on. And I have to focus on many of those things too for my own mental health. Um, but yeah, so it's, it is a really difficult thing when you are the supportive person because it's like, who do you talk to, Right. I mean, you can get a therapist, sure, but who do you talk to on a regular basis? You know, you, you feel just as alienated and alone as the, the person that is going through it. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you point out getting support. I think that's something that's super taboo in our society. It's, um, of course, it's coming of age. I think more and more people are seeking out therapy and counselors and, you know, the taboo is slowly falling off, but it's still a little taboo. There are definitely people that you don't want to necessarily announce that you go to a weekly therapy session. Um, so I like that you give permission again for people to do that. And then I also hear some boundary setting in there, which is number one for me. I love that you say, I don't want to be those things for you. I don't want you I don't want to be that therapist for you. So I, um, when I was going to counseling, I had to explain that to, to my partner, to Nicholas, and he couldn't understand why I didn't want him to be it, but it was a little bit reversed. I didn't want him to be that person for me. I wanted a separate person. I knew because my background is in mental health, mm -hmm. how heavy that was. And I knew that that was not the place or the role that I wanted my partner to play. And it was hurtful for him. It made him feel like he wasn't good enough. I think on the back end, now looking back, he realizes that I was doing both of us a good service by keeping them very separate. But right. it hurt in the beginning. It, it did. Right. But it's better for them to be able to just to be your partner and your friend, right? And to put that, you know, it, it, you totally broke a pattern that you could have kept going for 20 years <laughs> it's like harder to work through that you know backtrack that so that's that's really wonderful that's that's great thank you setting boundaries is is just everything so mm -hmm. I want to talk about bullying um, what's the role that bullying plays in mental health because we see this play out all the time in women's health from providers to family members to friends to total strangers to people judging or bullying or you know your decisions the choices that you make your body what you eat anything yeah you can't win right you can't win <laughs> I think that it comes down to two main factors the first is not understanding, right? Like when people don't understand something, they automatically judge, attack, you know, just react basically. And the second thing is where that person is as far as their relationship with themselves, because that's our number one relationship is with ourselves. We're, we're the only person we're guaranteed to live with our entire lives. <laughs> so it's a really important relationship. And most, I mean, Oh my gosh, I could talk for hours about this. Like it just, you keep going back and back and back and we're, we're just a broken society. We're, it's just broken. And so, you know, each of us has to work on that on our own and being an empathetic person, that's really, really hard because I want to like help everyone, but the only way we can help everyone is really true to help ourselves. So the first is the lack of like the lack of understanding. So if somebody is, you know, being a bully or being, uh, just nasty or rude about somebody's, let's say, mental health or whatever other experience, they, they probably have never been through an experience like that or have loved anyone that has and or they did not have support going through it themselves or they don't 
have a good relationship with themselves or they had a really traumatic experience themselves. I have found that most of the time when I experience a woman getting angry at me on usually online space, not to my face, it's because she is exhausted, she's unheard, she doesn't have support, and she just really does not like herself in that moment, maybe not always, but in that moment. And that comes back to boundaries because the empathetic side of me wants to go through that screen and hug her and sit with her and listen to her story and help her. The part of me who has to also take care of myself because I can't do that. I have to take care of myself has to set boundaries. And the thing about setting boundaries is it really pisses unhealthy people off. It makes people really mad. Like, oh, you're going to block me now? And they try to turn it around on you, which is toxic manipulation. Yeah, yeah, I am. Because I'm going to remove that from my space. And so, you know, you need to go and work on that because I can't do that for you. So you go work on that and I'll be here, you know, when you're in a better space and we can share space again together. So that's kind of what I have found in my experience when it comes to the the bullying and the fighting. And, and of course, social media has highlighted this, right? And when I see, especially women and mothers arguing, I just see a bunch of exhausted women who probably do not have a village or support. And it's what everyone's wanting and no one's getting. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. And I have found and I, you know, I have a lot of different move, like movements and spaces online, but in my personal one, January Harshi on Instagram, I've really, I really work hard on a daily basis to cultivate that supportive environment. And you feel it, you feel it when you go on there, you know, and I have people push back, like people get mad at me that I'm positive or people get mad at me that I'm not speaking up about every issue out there. And the way I see it is you're already seeing all that everywhere else. You're seeing the arguments, you're seeing the political posts, you're seeing all of these things. Let me create a space that where I say, I acknowledge all that is going on, but hey, let's check in with ourselves and how are we acting and reacting to all of those things we're having to deal with on a regular basis, right? So that's what I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Social media for me is like a double-edged sword. It's like on one hand, you know, many people like you and um, people support you and you're able to build this community. You've done it. I've done it. We uplift people every day. We support right. people. But then on the other hand are like devastating effects of online bullying. And you know, there's no worse place than a nasty mom's group with vultures that are waiting to pick apart any mom who dare say something semi out of line. I have definitely been the, the focus on some of those many, many times. And I'll tell you, the number one thing you do is you do not react, period. And it is really hard because it doesn't mean that it's not hurtful. It doesn't mean that I have not sat here and sobbed. It does not mean that I, it has not triggered horrible anxiety. Those things happen and they have affected me, but I, don't, I still don't have to react because reacting to that is, is just adding to the negativity and fueling that fire. And I don't want to give that power to that kind of behavior, right? So I just pull back and I ask myself, who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose? What's my why? And I have no problem with turning off comments and making my profile private for 24 hours if I'm feeling unsafe. That is completely okay. So, you know, I would say there's probably once a month where my profile goes private for a day or two because of things like that. And, you know, but the anytime I've ever reacted to anything like that, I'm like, I regret it because it's, like, it's like, it really just makes things worse. And again, we can't control other people. I meditate on this all the time. I control no one but me. I am in charge only of my reactions because that is the truth of it through almost every situation in life. And when you are dealing with anxiety specifically, that's really frustrating because you can't control everything. And for some of us, it comes out in OCD, obsessive compulsiveness, because we just want to control things. We need our environment clean. Like I'm a minimalist for a reason, you know, because it helps with those things. But um, I can't, it's comforting to me when I remind myself that the truth is 
I can't control anyone but myself. I can't control those mom groups. I can't control what people are saying or posting about me. I've had people make me look like a completely different person in these groups before. I've had people come at me before and I can't control that, but I can control my reaction to it. That's, that's actually powerful. Like it's, there is power in that. There is power in not reacting and there is power in continuing to be who you are and use your voice despite all of that. Because if I were to shut down over a few people hating me because they're really hating themselves, what is that serving anyone? That's not serving anyone, you know? And so, and it's really hard because those few negative voices feel so loud. I have people tell me every single day that what I share helps them, that they're on this journey with me, solidarity. I've had women tell me that they um, have not committed suicide because of stuff that I've shared, which is just, whew, like, I, I, there's no words. And to let some group or somebody else who doesn't like you or is jealous or maybe just maybe I've hurt someone and I really did do something that I shouldn't have and I grew from it and I've learned and I'm better now I can't let people pull me back into that right so we have to we have to continue to refocus we have to continue to refocus on the good and continue to refocus on the people we're helping refocus on our why our journey um, and shut those voices out and not react to those it's hard and that's, again, it's hard. It's not easy. These things aren't easy to do. No, it's super hard. I mean, self-work is not easy, right? It's sticky stuff. It is, it's healing for a reason, and not everybody does it for a reason. It's because it's hard work. I like when someone is nasty to me on the Internet because it happens. The, the more eyes that you get on you, obviously people are going to be nasty and nastier and nastier, but – when that happens to me, I always like to remind myself of my why. Why did I post this particular post? Why did I decide to share this particular picture or this particular feedback or this particular story? My why is why I posted this. And your reaction to that, if it's not a kind one, you probably just don't belong on my page, to be honest. Um, and then I always try and send them vibes of healing. Like, I see that you're hurting. I'm not the person right now to help you. Mm -hmm. I can't take on your stuff, but I hope that for you, you find that place. Um, I learned that really early on with Birth Without Fear because when you share a photo of someone who has just given birth or is birthing, there is going to be some very intense reactions to that based on somebody's own experience and their own birth experiences. So I can share a photo and it can be the most empowering photos to one person and completely triggering to somebody else. Does it have anything to do with this woman or birthing, per birthing person's experience? Absolutely not. And so I had to learn early on how to navigate that <clears throat> because I like to hold space for all births, you know? And so early on, it's just, hey, not every single post here can be for every single person, but there is something here for every single person, and that's okay. So I learned that really on with that. Now, in my personal space online, it's a little bit different. And what I have found is there are many, many times where I've experienced where people love when I speak up and use my voice when it has something to do with what they can relate to. But then as soon as I do it for maybe something they can't relate to or somebody they can't relate to or for myself, I get pushback. And as an empathetic person, what I tend to do is I tend to start caring about other people's feelings more than my own. And so I have to navigate that and say, wait a second, like this really helped me or this is really important to me. And if it upsets you or it's not for you, you are a grown person and you can scroll past this or remove yourself from this space. I can't shut down my voice or my journey or my learning or my growth for 46,000 other people. <laughs> you know? So um, that actually happened to me this morning because I shared, a, I, I just recently started sharing about my weight loss. Now, <laughs> thank you. Well, um, I've been a self-love body positive advocate for years, again, because I was on my own journey and I just share as I'm on my own journey. But part of my healing mentally and physically, I've had to heal a lot of things physically as well, 
has been dietary changes and losing weight. And it's a really difficult, I, I tend to, I tend to try to hold space for a lot of things at once, which is not easy. And so there, there is space in self-love and body positivity. There is also space for change. Like we can have both. And so I have been sitting on this for months on how to speak up about this and share my journey in this. And I decided this week to do so. And I know in doing that, there's going to be different people reacting differently to that. And so I posted something this morning and somebody said it triggered something for them. And it's like, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what to tell. Like this helps me and this, I, but not everything I post can be for every single person. So you, you, and people I follow, not everything they post is for me. Right. And I just scroll past it or I'm, I am very big on unfollowing and refollowing people. I do it all the time. Or I unfollow people and just go check in with them once a week, you know, and, and I'm not putting that on anyone else. That's just me being a grown ass woman and <laughs> deciding what I want to see and what I don't. And so sometimes people like actually DM me and tell me, that what I'm posting, what I'm sharing isn't okay for them. And it's like, I, this is my journey and I'm going to share this. And so, you know, there's all sorts of elements when you're sharing things in an online space. But I just want to say earlier, when you said the larger you get, the more eyes you get on you and the more negativity on the flip side, the more eyes you get on you, the more positivity and the more support and the more solidarity and the people that are negative or the people that are just not in a good place to be there with you on your journey because they're not on that place on their journey, they'll weed themselves out. You know, when I started speaking up about my sobriety, that made a lot of people angry. And I understand because it used to make me angry because I was addicted to alcohol. So I don't want to say, I want to laugh at the funny wine and mom culture drinking memes. I don't want to hear somebody telling me that it's not good for me because every evening I'm wanting to pick up a bottle of wine. So I don't want to see that. Right. And so when I started speaking about my sobriety, I've been sober since March. Um, a lot of women reacted to that when I started speaking up about how, Hey, this is like a woman's right issue. This is a feminist issue. Like we're marketed to, we're targeted. Like this is a big deal. And we laugh at these memes but the reality is, is you have a, a, a mom who can't cope with the witching hours or bedtime and then wakes up every morning with a hangover or beating herself up because once again, she drank that socially acceptable wine. It's not so cute in person. And so when I started speaking up about that and how alcohol is not self-care, made a lot of people mad. And I had hundreds of people unfollow me. And I'm okay with that. Because you know what? When they realize they might need support in that, they'll come back into the space. But in the meantime, I'm grateful they're removing themselves from my space because they're not wanting to hear that message. And then all we're going to do is create negativity. So it's, it's, it kind of, you know, the, but the, the support and positivity was way more, was way more. And that's what I'm there for. Absolutely. Every time you open your mouth, you just sing right to my soul. I didn't mean by <laughs> any means that, you know, things were, were super negative, but I do think that you know, you'll see it more and more, but I also believe that they will, they'll fall to the wayside. They will find that this isn't the space for them. And eventually they no. will be right. They'll be chirping, you know, ugly things and nobody will even pay them any attention. And so they'll have to move on to another community Absolutely. that they can stir up. So that leads me a little bit into the mom shaming that we see all the time. What do we do about it? How do we disarm it and meet it with love? You know, what if there's a listener out there thinking, holy shit, that's me. I have fallen victim to these terrible mom vultures on the internet. How, what can I do other than just not reacting? Okay. So I've not reacted now on Facebook, but now I'm on my couch crying and you know, dinner is supposed to be in 30 minutes and my child needs to be bathed. How do I combat the mom shaming that we get every day? <clears throat> well, I think that we have to approach social media with self-care in mind right? So we talk about self-care when it comes to maybe sleep or therapy or exercise or, you know, um, a date night or a bath, but what about social media? So are we applying self-care when it comes to social media? Are we applying boundaries when it comes to social media? You know, social media releases 
like dopamine in your brain. I'm not a scientist, but there is science out there. And so we're pretty much all of us on it are addicted to some extent. And, you know, so checking in with yourself on how, what you really need from that space. Like you said earlier, it's a double-edged sword. It's bittersweet. There's so much positivity and support and solidarity that can be found on social media. There might be a mom who is completely alone or her family might be a blended family and all her friends don't have that. And so she might only be able to find other people who understand what she's going through or as a stepmom or, you know, a, a dad as a stepdad or whatever the situation is. So it's a great thing, but then are we applying boundaries and self-care so we're not taking in too much of the negativity, right? So uh, I tell moms to make their profiles private, unless it's for business, obviously, but even if it is, I make mine private sometimes, um, and make it private, unfollow people, unfollow. If anything comes up in your newsfeed, I don't care if it is your best friend of 30 years, you can still be best friends in person. I have a friend who's a hunter and I'm vegan. <laughs> so I don't follow her on social media, but I text with her and I talk to her and I see her, right? Like social media is not the end all be all of your relationships. So anything negative comes up, unfollow someone. Or, you know, even on Facebook, if you if it's gonna cause you more drama to unfriend your sister-in-law, you can unfollow her and she won't know that you're not seeing her stuff, right? So setting whatever boundaries you can um, in your social media space is really, really important. And when you get up in the morning, are you even peeing before you're checking in on Instagram? So I take all of my apps and I put them in a folder and title it self-care first. So when I do that automatic addicted thing where I get on my phone and I go to press it, cause that's just what we do, right? I'll see self-care first. And it's like a little, little baby slap, January. <laughs> Why don't you go pee or get coffee first, you know, so things like that, um, you know, we have because we have to do it for ourselves. <clears throat> Nobody's going to do it for us. I am no longer on Facebook. I haven't I don't do mom groups, none of that. Um, and on Instagram, I follow very few people. I unfollow people. Like I said, I make my stuff private when I need to. So <clears throat> you can't stop the mom sheening. Or any of that from happening, but you can remove yourself from those spaces, right? So if you're, you know, walking, if you're at the park and there's somebody yelling at you, are you just going to sit there and take it? No, you're going to remove yourself from that space. Like you're, you're not going to keep yourself in a, in a harmful environment. So same thing goes with social media. We need to apply that in our real lives. Um, and my daughter who's 15 asks me, Mom, why in the world are you subjecting yourself to this? And I tell her that I completely understand what she's saying and it seems insane, but I feel like I have one life to live. And if I can be one of the people that is adding a little more light, then that's what I'm gonna do. So for those of us that are holding space or have a message, that's what I have to say is your you're creating a little bit of light in this world and it's so needed. Like you're so needed. So remember your why, create that light, set your boundaries. If you're just using social media for personal, whatever, again, apply boundaries and self-care to your social media. So that's what I would say. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I always recommend people unfollow. Um, I don't do the unfollow follow back thing. I usually am a one and done person. Um, I try not to unfollow people off of just like one post, but if it's constantly that I feel like your stuff comes up and I'm either taking a big sigh of like, Oh, my life isn't that great as that person's. Or if I'm taking a big sigh of like, Oh, I feel crummy about myself. Like I just have to unfollow you. And I think you're right. It doesn't mean I can't be friends with you. Let's have dinner on Friday night. I really just don't want to see your Instagram and that's okay. Boundaries, people, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Absolutely. And you know, the healthy thing to do is if you see something like that, you check in with yourself instead of react. But with social media, it's like this instant reaction. You can type it. There's no, there's no um, hold back. There's no thought process before you speak if you were in person, you know? So something that I practice sometimes is turning off comments. Even in my profiles public, I'll just turn off comments so that people can't react for a little while. And I'll tell you what's really cool though, is there's that element, but the other element is it makes me check in with my ego 
in myself because if I'm not getting that validation for what I'm posting, it's like, am I posting this because I want to? And then I'm not looking for any, not even the negative stuff, the positive stuff. Like then I'm not, I'm not needing anyone's validation for posting this. So I find turning off comments keeps people from reacting, but it also makes me check in with myself and what I'm actually sharing and why I'm sharing it. And it makes me check, put my ego in check too. So I practice that every once in a while as well. I like it. I like it so much. So let's shift a little bit to birth work. We've already talked about the birth without fear movement. And I wanted to talk a little bit about prevention. So birth trauma, how do we prevent it? So something that TBH focuses on is trying to prevent birth trauma, but we can only do so much, control so much, affirm so much, prepare so much. I don't always have the answers. Um, I don't think anybody does, and I never promise to, but there are a lot of factors at play. How do we prevent birth trauma before it happens in an ideal world if we could control everything? Ideal world. Well, and that's the thing is there's no blanket blanket answer for that because all of us are in such different situations, you know. Um, obviously, the first gut reaction is information, sharing information. When I first started Birth Without Fear, and then I started meeting people in person. I heard the story I heard the most was I had a really traumatic birth and then I found your blog. And over the years, that has changed a little bit to I found your blog first. And it empowered me to change my care provider or to have a VBAC or to have a healing cesarean birth. And so just sharing the information and creating a space where uh, women feel less alone really helps reduce trauma. Of course, there's other things as well, you know, hiring a doula, having the right support around you, creating a bubble, only allowing supportive people in your bubble. I think the number one thing is uh, who you choose as your care provider, you know, and again, for some people that's easier said than done. But when you have a care provider who gives you respectful, unique care, who is not giving shameful care. So many women just feel shamed. You know, you go into your appointment and the first thing you want to do is put you on the damn scale, <laughs> you know, like talk about your weight. And for many women, that's just triggering, whether underweight, overweight, eating disorders, whatever it is, you know, and that's something I always dealt with as a plus size woman. With my sixth, when I went in, uh, I was seeing an OB and midwives. Um, I was getting co-care and I went in to see my OB and the nurse wanted to weigh me. And I, I said, no, no. And she's like, well, I need to weigh you. Actually, you don't. There's no reason you need to know my weight today. And I've worked really hard to love all of this. And kind of did a Vienna White thing, you know. And she's like, I'll just put patient refuses. Because <laughs> she didn't know what to do because no one refuses. You know, and so not that she was shaming me at all. But I don't think that, you know, we step back and, and look at the overall care and the questions that are being asked or the questions that aren't being asked or how care providers are responding to women and to things that are said or, or whatnot. And so if you, if you have a care provider who's mindful of the words that come out of their mouth, if you have a care provider who will listen to you and, or who will just sit and have a conversation about the why, like, Care providers are people, you know, and so if they have certain things they do or don't want to do, there's probably a reason. Maybe they've experienced some traumatic things and births that they've attended, or maybe it's a policy that they just have their hands tied on that they've been fighting to, or maybe it's just a policy that's it's always been done that way. I'm doing air quotes because that's not an answer to me. That's not an answer, you know? And so then it might be something that you have to push harder on. But if you have a care provider who you have that relationship with, you're already going to be 20 steps ahead because I always wanted a care provider who, if they said, you know, January, I'm a little concerned about this, that I knew they were truly concerned about that, whether it was the health of me or my baby mentally and physically, and it wasn't that they were just trying to pull one over on me because I've been through that as well. I'm a plus size post-date VBAC birthing woman. So, I mean, I have been told everything. And um, having a care provider who you are just on the same page with helps so much. And then 
Because the thing is, it's not just a matter of how your baby comes out. That's not, birth trauma doesn't come from how your baby comes out of you. Uh, it comes with how you're treated through the process, right? So you want a care provider who, okay, things are changing. How are we going to handle this? They handle it with respect. They handle it with support. That if it's not an emergency, they discuss your options with you. And then if it is an emergency, you can trust them to do you know what what is needed and so again i know this is easier said than done for a lot of people um, but choosing your care provider is so important in reducing birth trauma so that's what i think a hundred percent listeners i mean if you are new around here then i invite you to explore i have blogs i have previous podcasts on this we have a podcast called setting boundaries for your birth it is literally all about setting boundaries for your birth check that out we have a pod um we have a blog all about choosing the right provider for you and how it is basically a recipe and you don't want to be cooking an Italian dinner and bite into it and it's really Greek. I promise you don't want that. So do your due diligence. In January, you mentioned so many things that are such a core part of who I am and TBH and the TBH approach, such as language matters. Sometimes our doctor's hands really are tied. Sometimes there are policies that your doctor doesn't have another choice. And then Finding a doctor that listens to you and validates you, it is never too late to change providers. Change providers because it will absolutely, no doubt, impact your birth experience. Absolutely. And I think if you're hiring a midwife, you need to have a conversation with that midwife on how she handles transfer of care. Because I know many women who suffer from birth trauma because their transfer of care was handled horribly. You know, so this goes whether you're hiring a midwife or you're hiring an OB. It's incredibly important. You know, a lot of people assume that with birth without fear, A, that it's all natural birth, which is not. And B, that I'm pro-midwife and anti-OB, which cannot be further from the truth. I am pro the human being behind the title. <laughs> you know, so it all comes down to how that actual care provider will support you, especially when plans change, especially when, and birth is unpredictable. So guess what? Plans change a lot. <laughs> so you want to have a care provider who can do that. Also, if you are, especially birthing in a hospital, you can ask for a different nurse. Because nurses, they can make for incredible hospital birth experiences, right? Like labor and delivery nurses are awesome and they really help you create that space, support you in your birth choices, whether you walk in and you're like, all right, are we calling for the epidural? They're not gonna shame you for that. Or you know what, don't ask me again, I'll let you know what I want it. And then they're not gonna shame you for changing your mind, right? Because we're allowed to change our minds. It's so weird when we think, we can't change our minds. Like you're literally birthing a human being out of your body. You're allowed to change your mind, right? Like this is kind of a big deal, you know? So um, the nurse, you're allowed to change nurses. And let me guarantee you, if you and a nurse are not vibing, she's going to have no problem going and getting the nurse on staff that will support you in your birth choices. You're doing both of you a favor right? And when you go home from a birth experience or you're at home, whether if you're having an at-home birth, you and your baby and your partner, whoever that is, are the ones that are going to have to process and heal and not just physically, but mentally and emotionally from this birth. You guys matter the most. So if you need to change a provider last minute, you need to kick a nurse out. You need to, even if you and your doula are not at that point, that is okay, right? And I'll say real quick that Whoever your partner or your spouse or husband, whoever it is, your support person that is not your doula or your care provider, let them be your bulldog if necessary. I had a dad say that to me in Cleveland. He's like, let us be your bulldog. We don't care about being friends with the staff. We do. And they're not in labor land. And you can be the strongest, most opinionated person. And when you are birthing a baby out of your body and you're in somebody else's house, whether that's the hospital or birth center, that just flies out the window and you can easily slip into people pleasing mode and kind of, you know, kind of start giving your power away. Not that you're meaning to, it just happens. And so let, let that person, let your spouse or partner, husband, if it comes to that, if you end up going to the hospital and your care provider is not there or out of town or not on whatever it is, let those people that you've chosen to be in that space with you, 
do their jobs, right? And I'm sure you've talked about that in your, in your podcast as well. Absolutely. I think that one of the biggest things for partners, because they feel so out of control, they haven't been growing this baby. They're not feeling the sensations and the pressure that you're feeling. They're not having to do the quote unquote hard work. They're working hard, but it's more mental. It's more energetic, but you're doing the physical hard work. They feel lost. Sometimes they feel like helpless, like they can't help you. So if you let them be that bulldog, they will totally see their role. Absolutely. And for anyone listening, just learn from my experiences because anytime I stopped my husband from doing that, I've regretted it. So let them, let them do that. And, and think of it this way. If you were the support person and that is your baby coming out of your partner, wouldn't you want to be able to make sure that your partner and your baby are getting the best possible care and treatment? You would want to be able to step in, step up, speak up. So put yourself in their shoes, you know, and, and let them be that for you if they can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what tools do you think that we could equip um, single birthing parents with so that they could successfully birth without fear? So for me, it's long conversations, honesty, education. I've had countless clients near and far come to me totally filled with fear. And after long conversations together, raw honesty from both sides, sometimes I have to be totally raw with you and you know some research pages later you've got yourself a very prepared birthing parent and sometimes um you know an equally prepared partner if that's in the case so what do you say that we can equip parents with if they are right going into birth um, especially alone <laughs> you know <clears throat> i can't speak for a single parent going into the experience because that is not something I've experienced. And so I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to speak as if I know what that's like. Um, but I will say for every birthing person to be heard is so important. So I think that's probably why you're experiencing that with people that come to you is because you just want to be heard. You just want to be validated in what you're going through and be supported through that. And there's plenty of of um, birthing women and birthing people who may not be single but still find themselves in a relationship or a situation where they feel like they're going through it alone, right? So, you know, holding space for both of those situations, um, again, coming down to hopefully they can have a care provider who's respectful and supportive. Um, there are, you know, if you're in a situation where finances are a struggle, there are doulas who will be there for you. Doulas do not get into the work of doula to become millionaires (laughs) you know they need to earn a living absolutely they need to be paid for their time it's very very important that they have boundaries as well but there are definitely doulas who either make a space for that in their budget or you know have have a way to work through doing you know supporting people who may not be able to at the time afford extra costs like that, right? Whether it's for birth or postpartum. So reach out anyways, reach out to any local, you know, doulas or groups, because there may be resources that you just have no idea are there. There's a lot of resources and a lot of communities that we just don't know about. So if you start kind of doing the work, like reach out to your local, even if you're not uh, a VBAC mom, vaginal birth after cesarean, reach out to your local ICANN group, your international student. They know everyone in the community. They will put you in contact, right, with the right people. So reach out to your ICANN group um, and just kind of start asking questions and asking around and there will be resources there for you, whether you're a single parent or you're finding yourself not very supported in whatever situation you're in, because having support and being heard is just so important when you're going through this experience. Absolutely. I don't know if that helps. I hope that helps. That helps so much. It's so much of what the TBH approach is about. It's just hearing, making you feel heard and letting you know I hear you. And then responding with either either information or education or resources. Um, Yeah, so much of it is just hearing your fears and your concerns and your thoughts and your worries and even things you're excited about and then giving you things to work off of. Absolutely, that helps. And there are doula groups that are doing amazing things. I'm going to uh, Connecticut and Long Island in March after the Birth Birth of Fear book comes out. And both of these doula groups I'm working with we're doing some kind of fundraising for women of color or for families in crisis. So in Connecticut, the birth tribe group, like they asked if, 
you know, some of the sponsors can char charge for um, dropping a card or product in the goodie bags. And then that funds, instead of going to me or Birth That Fear, will go to their um, donations for doulas to be able to help women of color in the community. Um, and then the group in Long Island is doing something similar for families in crisis. And so there's so many groups and people that are doing things like that to help the resources are usually there unless you live in like a podunk town somewhere, which I, I can say that because we have, <clears throat> we lived in a town one time that I was like, I will not be getting pregnant. <laughs> I'll have to drive five hours to the city that I'm okay going to. So I know many of you find yourselves in that situation and I'll tell you this, it's worth the drive. If you live in one of those kind of areas where there is literally no, like if you're listening to this right now and you're like, okay, January, that's great and all, but there's like two OBs in town and blah, blah, you know, there's literally no doulas drive, drive the two and a half hours to the you know, closest city and find the resources there. It's absolutely worth it again to avoid that possible birth trauma. It's worth it. Absolutely. That's where I grew up and it is a huge push of mine to take control of your birth. And this is the simple way that you can do it. Make sure that you're picking a provider that is, in alignment with you, not because they're one of two within 50 miles, make the drive. So you mentioned it just a minute ago, but tell us about your new book that's coming out. Yes. So uh, if you want to hear the whole story, if you go to the Harshi podcast, it was two episodes ago, but I started Birth Without Fear in 2010. And pretty much since the beginning, there's been talk about doing a book. And I've always said, I'm not going to do it until the time is right with the right people, with the right publisher, because I get one chance. I get one chance to do this. So actually, so I know that everybody else can't see, but look, it's in my hands. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so I have the advanced reader copies. The book is written. <clears throat> the publishing world is uh, very slow, which I actually appreciate because we live in this instant gratification world. So this whole process has really helped me in slowing down. But the book is written uh, and it's coming out in March. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the experience was incredible because the right people came at the right time. And many of the editors who were interested in the book had just had babies. So when they read the 40 page book proposal, <laughs> there were tears. And it's such a needed resource. If you go to Barnes and Noble and you go to the section for pregnancy, birth, postpartum, it, we're just, it's lacking. That information is lacking. And don't get me wrong. There's some great books, but you know, we all, we've all picked up the expect books, right? And I don't know about you, but I threw it against the wall. So, you know, and there was just no other information out there. So of course it was like, okay, finally we have something we can get our hands on. It was before social media too. But now, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person where I get on birth that fear. I read the birth stories, but I have so many people tell me that they wish they could just sit with me for a few hours and just unpack it all and talk about it all. And that's what this book is. Like I filtered through everything. I filtered through the blog, everyone's stories, everyone I've talked to in person. I filtered through it with love and we put it in a book. And I actually hired, hired a writer to help me so that it would be written as great as possible because like I said, I get one chance. So there's the, of course, the pregnancy sections, there's the birth sections, including VBAC, cesarean birth, you know, and cesarean birth section was interesting. We had to like create space again for, you know, women who choose that versus women who don't, you know. Um, and then there's the postpartum section, which as a mom of six is my favorite because most of us don't realize we need that support or information until we're in it. And even if people do try to tell you, you're just not hearing it, especially when it's your first baby. So I'm really excited to get the third section of this book into people's hands because it's such a needed resource. When you pick up pregnancy and birth books, the postpartum stuff isn't there. There's great postpartum books. So this kind of has it all though, all kind of put into one. So you can pre-order it um, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. How cool is that? When I walk into Barnes and Noble and see my book there, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> not even kidding. Like I won't even, I'm not even going to play it cool. Just so you know, you've been warned. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I love it. I'll probably lose it too. <laughs> I'll probably, they'll probably be thinking, are you January Harshi? No, <laughs> just a crazy fan. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. So yeah, it's birth without fear, the judgment-free guide to taking charge of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, which is what we were just talking about. So it's all in a book now. And it also, every single chapter has a partner point of view. So if you have a partner or a spouse who just like, you know, most do not want to sit down and read a birth book. But if you're like, hey, here's one page and it's actually written that those sidebars are written by my husband. So he's been through it all, all the different kind of births we've had and postpartums and whatnot. So that's in there too, which is, is such a great addition as well. Amazing. And listeners, we will link the pre-order into the show notes so that you can get your hands on that as soon as they come out. And January, one more place for people to find you. You have a podcast. How can people find you on your podcast? Yeah, so uh, it's the Harshi podcast and you can go to our blog. It's harshi.blog and that has all the different ways to listen or you can just go to your favorite place like Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and just search the Harshi podcast and it will be there. And it's just me and my husband. We debated for a long time whether or not to do the Birth Without Fear podcast or to do one just the you know, two of us. And I'm sure many of you listening listen to the Birth Hour podcast. And she just is, Brenda is amazing. I actually have my first four birth stories on her podcast and the last two on, on ours. Um, and so I just feel like that's, that's already being done very well. And so we decided to do the Harshi podcast so that we could talk about anything and everything, not just pregnancy and birth. So that's what we do. It's a lot of fun. Many of them are explicit. <laughs> we, just, we just have fun with it. So there's a little bit of everything on there and you can find it on our blog or, yeah, I love that it's on Spotify. It makes me feel like official. Is your podcast on Spotify? No, it's not. Not yet, but it makes you feel like a celebrity, doesn't it? It makes you feel so official. Like, I remember when we got on iTunes, I was like, oh my gosh, our podcast is on iTunes. <laughs> and then Brandon got it on Spotify, which isn't really, have you, have you put it through to do that? No. Oh, just do it. Okay. And it just makes you feel super official because that's what I listen to. I listen to Spotify, you know? So yeah, I just think it's, I don't listen to my own podcast, but I just think it's cool that it's on Spotify. <laughs> Brandon listens to every episode three times. I don't listen to them. I don't like listening to myself recorded. <laughs> I don't listen to mine either. Well, I absolutely love your podcast. I do think it's super funny. It's a great insight into the Harshi house, which I absolutely love. I kind of consider myself an honorary Harshi family member. So <laughs> Take a listen, um, listeners. And then I also love that this birth world is so connected. So Bryn was also on the podcast. So listeners, if you're new around here, rewind all the way back to the beginning. And Bryn was on here talking about being an influencer mom. Um, yeah, this birth community is just really, really amazing. So January, is there any other places where people can connect with you if they wanted to reach out, if you uh, made an impression on them today, or if they had something to say, or if... Maybe this is the first time and you changed their life today. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, yeah, my Instagram, January Harshi, is where I'm at most of the time. I disabled my Facebook page. And, you know, that's, it's interesting because I had 30,000 followers on there. And I'm like, I'm done. And you're allowed to do that, right? You know, don't be so attached to things like if it's not good for your mental health. So I am only on Instagram now. That's where I communicate with most of my community. Of course, you can, you know, find Birth Out Fear, Take Back Postpartum, and Don't Forget Dads. Also, Mothering Without Fear is another space on there. But mostly on Harshi.blog, January Harshi Instagram, and birthwithoutfearblog.com. That is amazing. And if you um, want to see me in person, it's BWF, like birth without fear, BWFconference.com. That's where we post our live events uh, and we're adding to our 2019 schedule now. So check in with that. Yes, yes, yes. Check it out, listeners. Maybe you will see me be bopping around one of those conferences. I love it. Maybe we can do a live podcast together. Yes. Now there is an idea. All right, listeners, happy, happy Tuesday. I am so excited that you all tuned in with us today from anxiety and postpartum mood challenges to advocating for yourself, to talking with your partner, to talking with your doctor, to just knowing your rights and your options so that you can take charge of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. 
This episode has been so jam-packed. I hope that you are leaving with lots of notes and lots of love. Happy, happy, happy Tuesday, y'all. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Hello, villagers. I just wanted to hop back on here and let you guys know that registration for the fourth trimester workshop is still open. If you are an expectant parent, this is the workshop for you. We're bringing it to you in your home, on your computer, you and five other couples and two professionals. It's going to be myself and I'll be teaching you all about bringing your new baby home. I'm even going to dive into a little bit of of sleep in the last trimester and how to get you some more sleep right before your baby comes. Then we'll start to prepare for after your baby gets home. How will you get you and your partner sleep? How will you manage your household with a new baby? Secondly, you will meet Kate. She is the founder of Serenity Sleep and Wellness, and she will be diving into how you can best support your newborn sleep once you bring them home. She is going to talk all about those first few weeks and months and what you can expect and what you can do to try and get as much shut-eye as possible. You guys, sign up for the link in the show notes. You don't want to miss this. It is only open to six families. So go ahead and get your name on it now. This is going to be on November 29th, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Get your name on the list. Do not be caught off guard in postpartum. Don't let yourself have a baby and then find yourself in the midst of a complete circus and leave yourself looking back wondering why in the world you didn't prepare better for this. Come on guys, make yourself number one, put yourself as a priority for two hours. That's it. That's all I'm asking you and this will be a total game changer in your postpartum experience. I will see you guys there. Don't forget to register in the show notes. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.